Hello, everyone. I'm Carl Tiedemann with Soil for Climate, and I'm honored to be here today with Congressman Tim Ryan from Ohio. Uh, for the next 45 minutes or so, uh, we'll be discussing Tim's views on uh, regenerative agriculture, on restoring soil as a way to improve the nation's economy, uh, to help fight climate change, and to improve public health. So, uh, Congressman, it's an honor to have you here with Great us today. Great to be with you. I'm and very excited for this. Delighted to Thank see you. this happen. Um, I'd like to begin uh, by having the Congressman talk a little bit about uh, his path uh, toward regenerative agriculture and how you first learned about soil, perhaps who some of your teachers and mentors have, be, have been. And, um, and uh, anyway, if you could just... Yeah, so I, I, I got to go back to, um, you know, I, I wrote a book in 2000 and I think 11, 12, I started writing a book on uh, mindfulness meditation, believe it or not. And I was doing a bunch of research about uh, stress on the body. And I started to really see that what was really debilitating for the body was stress, but it was also diet. And so then I got into a whole initiative around writing a second book around food. And the book's called The Real Food Revolution. And as I was doing research for um, The Real Food Revolution, I got into kind of the agriculture piece of the food and how our food was affecting our health, but you really couldn't do any research on, on health and food without getting into agriculture. So that began the process of me learning about how we're losing bees as, as pollinators, um, what was happening to our soil, what was happening to the, the runoff that I was seeing in Ohio with the algae blooms on the Great Lakes. We've been dealing with that problem for a while. And so the idea of a new and better way of doing agriculture became very apparent to me that that, that was something really important. And then I just, I, I got interested in it. I mean, I'm from like a Rust Belt uh, congressional district, Youngstown, Ohio, Akron, Ohio, and I represent Ohio. So we do have ag interests in Ohio, um, very much old school, but also learn more and more about, uh, you know, some of these specialty crops that are just like fruit and vegetables mm -hmm. <laughs> that, that we call, they're all special now, all of a sudden. Um, and, and then uh, I started meeting more people who introduced me to people like Gabe Brown. Um, so I immediately bought uh, Gabe's book and uh, you know, read his book and had conversations with Gabe and Alan Williams. And in, in my book, Real Food Revolution, I talked a lot about urban agriculture, uh, about what Will Allen's doing in places like Milwaukee and how we can build out the, uh, the urban ag, too, as an opportunity to stimulate development. So anyway, um, and now I watch videos and <laughs> all my all my new uh <laughs> And my ag friends are sending me all kinds of good stuff to read. So I'm, I'm super pumped about it because I think the country is looking for new solutions. And I think when they hear about this uh, kind of things we're going to talk about today, people get excited because it's so practical and makes a lot of sense. Excellent. Um, I should also, uh, at this point, thank uh, the good folks here at WBUR, whose uh, studio space we're using as well as the folks on your staff, and, yeah. and, and Stefan Gordon, the Soil for Climate member who helped to make the connection uh, with your campaign. Yeah. Yeah. I'm very appreciative to all Stephane of you. Stefan keeps me very abreast of uh, happenings. Keeps all of us on our toes. <laughs> um, and it might be helpful just to lay out a, a little bit about some of the issues with industrial agriculture. 
Um, we've seen a great deal of soil erosion. Uh, we have the issue of ocean dead zones. I understand there are several hundred of them around the world yeah. uh, from the runoff of ag agricultural chemicals. Uh, in many parts of the, of the United States, um, there's more soil runoff per acre than the actual tonnage of food being produced per acre, which is a pretty shocking statistic. Uh, there are estimates that if we keep going as we are doing by plowing land, applying uh, fertilizers, which many people think are beneficial to the land, but in fact they interfere with soil health, uh, there are estimates that we only have about 60 years on average yeah. of, uh, uh, of growing seasons. And that was a UN United exactly. Nations climate study. Yeah. So we obviously need to make a, a sea change in, in how we approach land management. Um, and could you talk a little bit about some of the practices that farmers are beginning uh, to adopt to, to be in order to become more profitable, to restore fertility to their soils, restore wildlife habitat, and sequester carbon? Yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, uh, you know, I think most people uh, that are that are watching this will know a lot, probably a lot more about this than I do. But I've tried to immerse myself in the last, uh, you know, six months to a year to really understand what's happening around the regenerative agriculture and the idea that the soil is never really dead. It just, it, it, it can come back alive if the proper uh, techniques are, are um, used. And so, you know, we all see what's happening with the industrial ag uh, system that we have now. Obviously there's monopolies that are dominating this industry, we see it in, in all, all over the country, but I've learned a lot about that in Iowa, uh, out campaigning uh, there. Uh, we see the algae blooms, we see the dead zone at the mouth of the Mississippi River, and you said there's 200 plus around the world. Um, and Dr. Mark Hyman, I was with him the other day, uh, and he was telling me that there's 220,000, 100,000, 220,000, 220, uh, 220,000 metric tons mm. of fish that are killed uh, every year at the mouth of the Mississippi River in that dead zone there. So it's a really good, healthy, lean protein, and it's the fertilizer runoff um, that's happening because the ground's so hard when it rains, it, it goes into the rivers and, and rushes down there. So we have the algae blooms, we have the soil that's been uh, destroyed. We have these uh, huge dead zones where it's killing fish, wrecking the fishing industry. That's what we're dealing with. So as a as a someone running for president, someone who sits in Congress, someone who sits on the Appropriations Committee where we're trying to fund these problems, I'm tired of us always trying to put the Band-Aid on something, right? So how do we deal with the dead zone? Uh, how do we deal with farmers who aren't making money? How do we deal with algae blooms? How do we deal with the fishing industry um, that's that's being hurt? I want us to get to the root cause of, of these problems, and that means moving to regenerative ag, reducing the pesticide use, reducing the fertilizer use, which will enhance the soil, build resiliency around drought and flooding, and you know, obviously sequester carbon, which is a big, excuse me, a big uh, initiative for climate. Um, so benefit, 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 and the farmers are making money versus destroy the environment destroy the rivers, destroy fish, destroy the fishing industry, um, and have algae blooms all over the country. So to me, this is this makes the most sense of getting really to the root cause of the problem. We need to heal the land to heal the oceans and yeah. give them a chance to come back. Um, and heal the farmers. Yeah. And, 
heal the economy and mm -hmm. heal rural America. It's all it's all really tied together. Uh, some people have expressed the view that regenerative agriculture is in a way a distraction um, from other efforts that need to be taken to, to help address climate change. And I'm sure you feel the view of Solar for Climate, yeah. which is that cutting emissions is absolutely crucial, sure. but it's not good enough. We also need to get the excess carbon out of the atmosphere. Back in 2013, uh, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change said specifically that we would be facing uh, centuries of warming unless yeah. the, the only exception they gave was if we could draw down a massive amount of, of carbon out of the atmosphere and in so doing restoring our ecosystems so um, uh, okay that, that's I'm glad we're on the same page, we're on the same uh, page. Yeah. well if I could just say I mean that's that's a sign of the times I mean this is this is what I'm trying to do to get rid of it I keep saying it's not left or right now it's new and better like, how do we get out of this left or right? So here's another perfect example of, well, it's got to be either or. It's either, you know, you uh, reduce emissions or you do the soil piece where you're sequestering carbon. It's like, no, like who lives in that kind of world that, that it's, so, exactly. it's so black and white? It's both, both and, new and better. And if we have an initiative where we're capturing carbon, we're building electric vehicles, we're building batteries, we're building charging stations, we're building solar, we're building wind turbines, and and uh, capturing uh, carbon, helping our farmers, it's like, it's, a, it's like a holistic approach. And so it's whole foods uh, for education, we should educate the whole child. For the economy, we should make sure that it's a holistic approach uh, concerning um, stakeholders, not just shareholders, which means workers and the environment. So everything that I think new and better means holistic approach and getting to the root cause of the problem. And this is the perfect example of really trying to get to the root cause of the problem and all the healing goes from there. Absolutely. Um, approximately one third of the agricultural land in America is used for growing crops and approximately two thirds are used for grazing. Uh, Many may not be aware, but uh, most crops will grow only in places that get about 20 inches or more of rain annually. Uh, and there are large parts of the country that get significantly less than that. Uh, grasses need as little as six inches of rain in order to thrive. So there are large areas that cannot be used for growing crops, but can be used for grazing. And in fact, need to be because if the land in these regions are not grazed, grass plants ultimately shade themselves to death, the land turns into desert, uh, we've seen that happen in large parts of Texas and uh, Arizona, New Mexico, places that just a few hundred years ago used to be uh, grasslands as tall as, as people on, on horseback. Wow. Um, and I would um, also share that when Lewis and Clark, back in the early 1800s, traversed the country, uh, estimates are that there were as many as 65 million bison maintaining the health of the prairies mm -hmm. in North America and everywhere was abundant wildlife, pristine drinking water, in some of the world's deepest, richest soils. Wow. Um, I mention that because uh, often people think that cows are somehow inherently um, bad for the climate or bad for the environment. And what a lot of the new research is showing is that in fact, when cows are grazed properly, that is to say in a way that, that mimics or emulates how they grazed for millions of years, yeah. uh, they can in fact um, contribute greatly to our environmental goals and, and the climate that we all want. Um, Having uh, spoken uh, with Gabe Brown, I'm wondering, if, you know, how your views on cows are these days. And, yeah. And what What can we do to support the grazing community? Well, again, it's it's about the grass-fed 
Um, you know, someone asked me in Iowa the other day, are you against meat? You know, they hear me talk about health and they hear me talk about agriculture and all this regenerative. And they say, well, are you against me? It's no, I said, but ideally we want to move to a system um, where we're talking about grazing. We're talking about cows eating grass, <laughs> uh, novel concept when their their evolution is was designed for them to eat grass and how do we move into supporting that move, <laughs> move in that direction boo <laughs> but I'm um, but yeah and, and to me again it's not this either or you know because we, we live in a society that's like well ban that like don't do that well it's like okay time out let's talk about it and to hear um, and you may know, I can't remember exactly what Gabe said, but he, he was talking about, because we, we hear with like the Green New Deal is like, and we hear about flatulence and, you know, cow flatulence and all this stuff and how bad it is for the environment. Maybe you can remind me what Gabe told me about mm -hmm. how grass-fed cows, um, that there's something that happens there that deals with the carbon, right? Sure. Uh, that is. Yeah, there are a couple of issues. Number one is that when the cows are grazed properly, the grass tends to be much higher quality forage. Um, so uh, it has um, less cellulose, uh, which means that there's less methane being produced, the better quality of the grass, number one. And number two, uh, there was a, a research paper that came out just last year from Michigan State University uh, by Paige Stanley and Jason Roundtree. And what they showed is that during the beef finishing phase, if cows are grazed properly, uh, they end up sequestering more than enough carbon in soil to offset any of the greenhouse gases or all of the greenhouse gases, the carbon dioxide and the methane um, produced uh, during the production of beef. Uh, in fact, as we were discussing a few minutes ago, uh, at White Oak Pastures Farm in Bluffton, Georgia, uh, Will Harris's operation, uh, General Mills recently performed a life cycle assessment that showed that for every pound of regenerative beef, produced at White Oak Pastures, about three and a half pounds of atmospheric carbon dioxide were sequestered. Um, so agriculture is unique in being the only sector of the economy that can not only reduce its emissions as every transportation, housing, uh, power generation, all of the sectors have to cut their emissions, but only agriculture has that superpower of being able to turn the dial below zero. Mm -hmm. And what was interesting is that the same life cycle assessment showed that some of the artificial fake meat, I'll call them, plant-based burgers, others call them, um, actually have a, a positive carbon footprint. So while it's true that the plant-based burgers produce less emissions than, than the conventional industrial animal agriculture, no argument there. In fact, they still have, they're still contributing to global warming, whereas regenerative beef is actually undoing the impact of global warming and putting us in reverse instead of just slowing down the train, if you will. I don't know. I get so excited when I hear things like that because I mean, I'm 46 years old and we have three kids. So Mason's 16, Bella's 15 and Brady, our little guy is five. And I think about what we want to do to reverse climate change and like really put systems in place that are effective and real solutions, not just some propaganda or something that somebody said that sounds good, but actually solving these problems and to do it in a way where, you know, a lot of people, you know, if you start saying, well, don't eat meat or ban meat or th those kind of things, well, a lot of people don't 
want to stop eating meat. And, but I think if we can come in with this idea of, look, this is actually how things used to be. This is how we build out that old system that, that used to happen here, uh, that, is, that is good for the environment and good for our health and uh, you know, negative uh, uh, footprint. I mean, that's amazing. So let's do it. And, I mean, and then, so what I want is the federal government and the most powerful government in the world to lead on these things, to really show the initiatives, put the power, the weight, the resources of the federal government behind these things. And what I did learn from, from Gabe uh, and Alan Williams is that like you, we can literally get to a point where we can start reducing subsidies um, for farmers because they're all making money. And they talk to Gabe and he says, I don't even take the subsidies because he's making money and learning that this can really happen within like a year or two. People, the regenerative farmers can start mm -hmm. making money. Um, so how do we build that system out and do, you know, Gabe and Alan are doing as far as building teams out in each state to really help farmers uh, learn how to do this in a very quick way? Is there something that we would need to do from the federal government side to help the transition with farmers who may have made some, you know, significant capital investments or made investments for the old system? And how can we help them get into the new system? And we certainly would need to sit down and talk to farmers and Gabe and Alan and others uh, about how we would do that um, and actually do it in a very thoughtful way. But think about reducing the hundreds of billions of dollars that we spend on on uh, subsidies, crop insurance, and all of these things and all of these programs. If we could start reducing that, the money we would have to reinvest back into rural America for infrastructure, for water and sewer, for cleaning up um, the, the rivers that have been uh, polluted, for renovating theaters and building up the downtowns with river walks and amphitheaters and bike trails. Like the, everywhere I go, you know, and I represent a lot of these communities, they have this beautiful little downtown. There's a great courthouse. There's a, an old movie theater that, that the community's trying to get renovated. So if we can reduce the subsidies to the farmers, they're making more money than they ever have. Hopefully, if we build the system up and then take money and help broadband and you know the schools and the hospitals in these local communities, we use that money to build that back up. To me, that's a very unifying approach um, that's not asking for more money, but reducing money and kind of rearranging on how we invest it in the rural America. I think that answers one of the questions that Gabe Brown had actually submitted for the interview, which was, what are some of the non-governmental, the non-policy ways that we can achieve these goals? And certainly by reducing federal funding for programs that are not giving us the results that we want yeah. can help to uh, ensure that funds are available for other purposes, like yeah. community redevelopment and, yeah. and so forth. So I think that's important. Well, and, and a lot of the... You know, the average age of the farmer, I hear different statistics, but it's like 59 or 60 years old. So how do we, you know, maybe use some incentives, too, to help veterans get into regenerative agriculture, younger people with regenerative agriculture who may have student loans. I met several people out in Iowa who are younger just doing it on the side and obviously slow to get things building out. They can't afford health care. They 
you know, they have student loans, but now they, they're interested in this. So how do they, how do we move them into regenerative agriculture? I just want the government to be smart. I don't think, they, I, I want the government to do as little as it has to do, but there are certain things that it may need to do. And, and so if we can build that system out, again, sitting down with farmers, working with Gabe and Alan and others who are really experts in how to build this thing out, and then creating this new system that is really going to change the trajectory of the, of the country. Mm -hmm. um, we've seen just in the last year or so uh, the rise of uh, groups affiliated with uh, Extinction Rebellion. Uh, as more and more people realize the harm being done to the planet threatens the insect population, the bird population. We've seen collapse of the honeybees yeah. and, and so forth. And uh, I think it's an important, um, as we're talking uh, partly about grazing, uh, to recognize that on a well-managed farm, the animals would typically occupy only about 3% of the space at any given time, and 97% of the space on the farm is available for wildlife. Um, it's sometimes a, a bit counterintuitive at first blush for people to realize that proper grazing isn't just about the cows, it's in fact enabling you know, the fox and the beaver population, the wolves, the, the songbirds, the insects. In fact, some of the most verdant and thriving places I've ever been uh, have been um, farms or, or ranches, you know, where, where the animals are absolutely playing a key role, a key yeah, role yeah. In, in creating the wildlife habitat. Um, so uh, anyway, I just wanted to get that point out. And I would also um, like to thank uh, my colleague, Seth Itzkan, the co-founder of Soar for Climate, just to give him a shout out. Who's, Hi, Seth. Who's here with <laughs> us today, helping out and taking care of uh, some of the technical details here. And we tried to talk Seth into taking his jacket off. And, uh, <laughs> he does not do it. That's how professional he is. We're not wearing At least we're not making you wear the hat. We'll, yeah. we'll get to that later. Um, okay. Uh, so a couple of points um, or questions that some of our, our members have submitted. Um, one came in from Mary Nethery uh, talking about um, is a subject that was new to me called regenerative infrastructure, which is uh, changing some of the zoning um, uh, codes or, or, or code requirements so that when um, uh, parklands or uh, roads, creekways are developed, uh, the soil next to the roads are also being improved. And, and as I said, there was a new term for me that you yeah. want to make sure you were familiar with. It. I don't know if it's a question or yeah. So much of it as a comment. Yeah, no, but thanks. I've never heard of it before. And uh, <laughs> I can make something up. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, Brady Kerwan uh, asked uh, if you favor paying farmers uh, for ecological services. And by improving soil, for example, it can uh, the soil will hold much more water, so it can help to uh, prevent flooding. Um, yeah. And so that's a, an important way now, of course, in the case of Texas, which recently got 50 inches of rain over its span of a couple of days. There's only so much sure. that could be done in a circumstance like sure. that. Uh, but Gabe Brown saw the infiltration rate of his soils go from about half an inch of rain per hour up to more than eight inches of rain per hour. Right. So it's 16 fold improvement. And what that means is you know, flooding is not an issue. He can go six months without any rain and he's in fine shape. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So for communities that are threatened by flooding, you know, is that yeah. something you would look at? Yeah, and well, he, I mean, here's the deal. I think, you know, in talking to Gabe about this, like I want the government to do what it needs to do to help move people in this direction. But, you know, what he's saying and others are saying is that, yeah, maybe we need to educate people on how to do this. And once they do it, they're going to be making money off of it. So, like, there's no need to subsidize or incentivize. Now, maybe we have to... If we want to expedite it, we can say, okay, here's a, 
there's a three-year plan to get people converted over to it, and then the program's going to end or phase out. Um, but maybe you have a window that we can help, especially given everything farmers have been through now in the last five years. I want to really give them um, a lifeline and some hope to incentivize them because we're trying to really break through culturally of generations of this is how we do it, you know, mm -hmm. and I'm afraid to change. Uh, and what we want to say, and I'm, I'm, we're trying to do here is to say like, look, there's some politicians out here that get it, that, that want to help you. There's people like Gabe and Alan and yourself who are going to say, look, you can make money off this in a relatively short period of time. And you're not going to need to go fill out all these forms and go to the local ag office. I would like to build out the ag extension offices around the United States to actually help people convert over and put teams together in these states, whether it's the ag extension or the USDA, but really have help people learn how to do it. So I'm open to the idea of incentivizing this, um, incentivizing sequestering carbon. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, that may just be needed to expedite things and get things going faster. But from what I'm learning, that people are going to start making money off this. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we can reduce that and we can build theaters and build your downtowns up and make sure that the hospital was open with, uh, you know, maternity care or whatever, because we're seeing so many hospitals in rural America closed down or at least yes. closed down programs uh, and like maternity care. And, and, you know, even with schools, I mean, the, the amount of travel that, that kids have to do on buses today in rural America. So this is about getting farmers to make money, reducing those subsidies, and then saying, okay, how do we increase the quality of life in rural America and maybe spend money on those things to uh, help people in the United States and rural America have the kind of quality of life that they deserve with their schools, with their health care and other things. Mm -hmm. On the legislative and policy side, I would like to mention that um, uh, California and Australia have programs in place to actually pay farmers to sequester carbon. Um, approximately a dozen states throughout the U.S. have either passed or are, are considering healthy soil legislation. And of course, in each state, uh, there are uh, variations depending on what's most appropriate for that state. Uh, in New Mexico, just a few months ago, a healthy soil bill passed with overwhelming support from both houses, mm -hmm. wow. which I think helps to uh, reinforce the point that um, that soil appears to be mm -hmm. as American as baseball and apple pie. Yeah. I mean, nobody doesn't love it. Um, soil for climate, of course, the main focus of our organization is soil as a, as a climate solution. Um, but we also have encountered many farmers who may not yet accept the climate science um, and yet are wholeheartedly uh, adopting these practices and principles because they want to leave it for their children. They love wildlife, um, you know, even if the reason is because they like hunting, you know, yeah. and, uh, and, and they, and they you know, want to become more profitable and more resilient. So, you know, our, our hats are off to them, you know, whatever the motivation. I, I love this. Like, I, you know, I, I, I believe that uh, climate is uh, caused by man and, and like, but here we are in 2019 in a divided country and we literally have an issue like soil for climate, regenerative agriculture, where literally you have like conservative Republican or libertarian farmers who don't think the climate issue is caused by man, that it's part of a natural cycle, 
but they're really excited and are right now sequestering carbon and building the soil and using less pesticides and everything else. And then you have you know liberal Democrats who want pesticides off their food. They want to really address the climate issue and everything else, agreeing on a path forward. And so this is what I'm trying to say. I'm like, mm-hmm. let's find these issues that that we can agree on and move forward on them where we have bipartisan support. And to think about this is a huge, this, you want to talk about revolutionary, this is amazing and doable because all of a sudden, Republican rural farmers are going to call the Republican senators and say, hey, uh, President Tim Ryan is pushing this bill on regenerative ag and we want your support. Mm-hmm. And then the liberal Democrats are going to say, you know, I'm going to call them and say, hey, you know, we've got a coalition here to really make. I mean, this is to me is what's exciting. I talked about my kids. Like, I want to be that president like, that says, guys, we did this for you. We got this done. And we boosted rural America. And we boosted farmers' incomes. And we cleaned the environment. And we boosted the soil. And we moved to grass-fed meat and reduced antibiotics and reduced hormone use in the food, which is going to reduce health care costs, which is going to save money so we can invest in education and research and winning the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, to me, like, what are we talking about here? This win, is win, 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 win all the way around. Like, we, as politicians, we should be, we should be like, because right now the whole deal is, how can I tell you everything you want to hear and nothing that they want to hear, mm-hmm. and then we're not going to get anything done. Mm-hmm. I want to say, you are for this, and you are for this, and I'm the president, and let's go do it. I mean, to me, that what could be more exciting than that? Uh, there's a wonderful line in a, in a poem, Ode to Dirt, by Sharon Olds, which is, soil is our democracy. Um, and I think that kind of encapsulates uh, some of what you're saying here. Nice. Uh, we um, and I'll post that subsequently in the comments. Uh, we'd like to uh, move over to uh, taking some questions from our Facebook audience. And thank you so much, uh, all of you who are watching. And uh, Seth, would you like to turn it? Sure. If you want to hang on a second? Um, hi, Congressman Ryan. Uh, again, uh, thank you so much for being with the Solar for Climate community thank today. You. We greatly appreciate thank it. You. And um, uh, just from my own personal experience, I want to say to you and, and to our viewers that uh, I believe that the soil is the unifying force politically mm-hmm. because, um, you know, frankly, so many of, uh, of, of the land managers and grazers are on the conservative side of the aisle, but they totally understand the role of soil. And, um, and then, in, quote unquote, environmentalists are typically, you know, on the more liberal side. And, and soil really does seem to be the thing that we can you yeah. know agree on at least um so we do have some questions from we can agree on soil we can agree I on mean, soil okay. <laughs> I love it. so so anyway I, there are some questions that have come in while you're talking and and they've sort of been answered in a way but I, but i want to give voice to the people who have been asking questions in real time uh, let me just just say the three of them and you can answer them one is the relationship between healthy soil and health care I, I know that's a that's a good one just hold on to that yeah. um and the other was the bit about the regenerative infrastructure. Apparently, this is happening now in San Antonio, where they're saying it has to be part of the design standards somehow. I haven't heard about it before just now, but apparently that mm-hmm. uh, the, it, the example is out there. Right. And the other is in California, uh, California's Healthy Soils Program. They are apparently um, providing funds for covered crops and for compost applications on farms. 
and could something like that be a model for a national program? Right, right. Um, so yes, healthcare, <laughs> yes. <laughs> healthcare yeah. infrastructure in the California. Well, uh, again, um, holistic, right? Holistic solutions to, to the problems that we have. So we spend two and a half times as much on healthcare as every other industrialized country and we get the worst results. And about 75% of those healthcare costs are for chronic diseases that are largely preventable. And a lot of those diseases, heart disease, high blood pressure, mostly caused from inflammation, uh, diet-related inflammation. Um, type 2 diabetes has almost everything to do with diet. Uh, and these things are reversible. Um, you can reduce inflammation in your body through your diet and stress reduction as we started this whole thing out. Those are the two real you know, killers, uh, quite frankly. And they cause inflammation to your body, so your body inflames, and then it inflames your heart, you get heart disease, and inflames uh, your body, and you, you get high blood pressure. Uh, you get disease, disease. Your body's, uh, you know, not doing well. So one of the solutions to reducing healthcare costs and reversing things like type 2 diabetes is using food as medicine. And we have seen this happening now across the United States in different pockets uh, where a diabetic in, in half the country now has either diabetes or prediabetes, half the adult population. And a diabetic costs us about $14,000 a year for type two diabetes. And so initiatives like food as medicine are literally, literally reversing type two diabetes and getting people off of their uh, medications. I met a woman in Iowa who lost 90 pounds. She just happened to fall into a program that was doing food as medicine with other supports as well. For 5,000 bucks, one time, you can reverse type 2 diabetes. And instead of $14,000 a year, every single year to manage type 2 diabetes. But what do we need? We need healthy food, and we need it to be readily available everywhere, not just for those people who are going to reverse type 2 diabetes, but how do we prevent heart disease, prevent high blood pressure, prevent inflammation, prevent type 2 diabetes by making sure that, that this healthy food that comes from regenerative agriculture mm -hmm. is readily available to people. And that's why I also want to build out a, a huge urban agriculture uh, program in our cities that have shrunk from, you know, a couple hundred thousand people down to 50, 60, 70,000 people. How do we clear out those old dilapidated homes, build up urban agriculture, create summer jobs, create uh, after school jobs? How do we tie uh, the food as medicine to the school curriculum uh, in our schools? How do we have school gardens? How do we have salad bars in our schools? How do we have um, literally have uh, kitchens that kids can learn how to cook, mm -hmm. um, you know, grow the food, plant food, grow the food, pick the food, cook the food, and learn how to live uh, in a healthy way. So this whole idea around the health uh, can't just be focused around health insurance, although that's really important because people need to be covered, but it also needs to be how do we build this system out to reduce the three and a half trillion dollars uh, in, in chronic disease costs, get that number down. So, I mean, I, I want people to see this whole thing happening here. Like the whole vision is like, okay, how do we get the soil healthy? 
how do we get the environment healthy, reduce all these expenditures on on uh, on crop insurance and subsidies and everything else. And then from the healthcare side, how do we get us healthy by using the healthy food that's coming from the farms um, to reduce healthcare expenditures too? I mean, we have a trillion dollar a year annual deficit. We have a $22 trillion debt for the country and $1 trillion a year annual deficits that we've got to get under control. So it's not just raise taxes and pay the debt down. It's we got investments to make too. And so what I'm saying is get to the root of the problem. So the healthy soil, healthy environment, healthy ag, healthy food leads to reduction in health care costs and literally helping people pay for and buy. And if we get more of this healthy food, the cost is going to go down too. So then it's going to be more affordable for everybody to do it. And we can do it in urban areas. I would also like to see us, as we do this, create markets for uh, our regenerative farmers around prisons, uh, selling this food to prisons, like public expenditures on prisons. That's a huge market. That, and, and quite frankly, there are studies coming online now saying how bad the food is for our prisoners. And we know that this pro highly processed food affects your microbiome. Which I don't talk a whole lot about unless I'm on with you guys. <laughs> you would actually understand that you know it screws up your gut health, and they're drawing correlations between your gut health and your emotions and your mental state and depression and other mental health issues is tied to your diet and the erosion of the balance in your gut bacteria, just like the soil. You know, just like the soil. So um, universities, you know, you think of places like Ohio, Ohio State, which is 55, 60,000 students right in central Ohio. We have all kinds of other universities surrounded by rural America. So if we can move these public universities, colleges, and all the rest to start buying more, spending more of their money on, on uh, you know, real food, that's another market. And then all of our public schools, K through 12 incentivize them to purchase so you're you're building out rural america but you're also building out the, the markets for for people and so it all ties together in one big happy policy wonky thing <laughs> can i uh, interject a question sure. real quick um a, a good one just came in through the through the through facebook from uh from shari phil she says um what will you do to encourage more young people to get involved in regenerative farming and have more um, diversified family farms instead of huge corporate farms. And, and, and she started with a statistic saying that most farmers and land managers are, are getting older and older. So yeah. how do we get the younger generation? Well, you, I think you could do things like loan forgiveness uh, because a lot of people went and studied something else and then found themselves getting interested in regenerative agriculture and really want to do something for the environment. They want to, you know, they, they, they want that lifestyle too. You do some loan forgiveness, uh, student debt forgiveness to move them in. I think helping veterans move into, uh, you know, regenerative ag would be something very significant. But look, we also, you know, maybe from some of the savings, we also need to invest into our colleges and university programs because right now they're getting a lot of money from Bayer and Monsanto and all these other companies that are kind of getting you on the hook and teaching you how to do it the old-fashioned way. And so we, we need 
publicly funded uh, investments into colleges and universities so that we can teach regenerative ag because again the market the you know the, the current monopoly uh, in ag is funding uh, and, and teaching people how to do it the old way so that they use all the pesticides and buy all the fertilizer and, and do it the old-fashioned way. So the only other way to combat it, I mean, I only think the government should do things that, other, that will not happen, and there's a lot of value to it. Mm -hmm. And so these would be very good investments for the taxpayer to make into coaching people up as they're coming through schools. I mean, the more I talk to you guys, the more I realize you're all amazing scientists biologists um, and, and figuring out how to make all this work and we need to teach that in our schools and if our schools are solely reliant because of the cuts over the last 20 to 30 years to public education and public colleges and universities um, those institutions rely on private sector investments mm -hmm. and so then the, the school is going to teach with that private sector money what's going to help boost the private sector <laughs> so it's it's not just the monopoly in the in the sense of the market it's also it's also the um the feedstock for continuing that old broken system and so we'll need public investments in the teaching people how to do this because there's not a whole i mean the only person who's going to make money is the farmer mm -hmm. so there's no other interest really there i don't think mm -hmm. if there is maybe we can figure out how to partner with them but again, if the if you get these companies too, like General Mills, that are doing the good work, that that want to move in this direction, you know, maybe General Mills needs to help in a public-private partnership with colleges and universities about the new way of doing things. Absolutely, and uh, just to touch back on the health issue, there is uh, quite a body of evidence now showing how over the last several generations, food has had has presently contains much and much less nutrition oh, in terms of various yeah. minerals you know, 30, 50, 70% reductions in some cases. And uh, just a shout out, uh, a wonderful paper came out this spring by Fred Provenza showing that the healthier the soil is, the healthier the plants are, which translates directly into animal health and human health, yeah. ultimately. Makes sense. So there's uh, absolutely- I wrote about that in, in Real Food Revolution. Um, I wrote about, I think I mentioned carrots or oranges. I can't, I wrote it a while back. Oranges apparently it. have no vitamin C or yeah. some oranges. Anyway. Yeah, you have to eat like you have to eat like six or seven exactly carrots to get the nutrients. They look you. the same, but you just don't know. There's even more orange. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, that's and, and this is what this is what um, is really interesting about the political coalition is moms, especially I call them whole food moms. Mm. They know. I mean, they 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 are aware that there's too many pesticides. They're aware that the food is not carrying the nutritional value that it used to have and play that out over you know decades which we're dealing with now and you see diabetes epidemic you see the obesity epidemic you see you know uh, kids uh, not as healthy as they used to be and so yeah it's a huge issue just want to do a quick time check and uh we're going to wrap up uh, after 45 minutes, but if you have a few more minutes. Uh, I stick around a couple, just a couple more. Seth, do you have a, another question? Uh, I just wanted to give you real-time feedback, the loan forgiveness. <laughs> uh, real-time feedback here, the loan forgiveness for new farmers is getting a lot of thumbs up. I'll get right on yeah, it. <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah, the other thing too is, uh, you know, with I think that could help people convert over. Healthcare is such a huge issue in the country, I think everybody knows it, but have a provision where 
Um, I, my one of my reforms is to allow small businesses to be able to buy into the Medicare program um, because small businesses are getting crushed with healthcare costs today. And so you can get into a real stable insurance pool. Hmm. So maybe another incentive along with the loan forgiveness is allow these farmers to buy into the Medicare program um, in order to incentivize them to, to get moving. Because we got to build it out. There's got to be some incentives to help people move into the, into the new system. Seth, is there another question you'd like to share? Uh, not, not right at this second. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, something else I'd like to touch on earlier, sometimes people have asked, <laughs> You know, is there enough land for all of the meat to be grass-fed, for example? And I uh, just want to make reference to uh, some research that has shown that the carrying capacity, that is to say the number of animals the land can support, has gone up either double or triple in some cases or, or even more when the land is properly managed and the grasses come back and begin growing again. So um, we are confident in the new science that's showing, in fact, eventually all of the uh, animal agriculture or beef production mm -hmm. can be put back on pasture um, and wow. so improving the environment and it, if you're not growing the grains the corn and the soy to feed the animals uh, then that land can be put back into pasture and in many cases um, you know improving the picture for wildlife and, and the other yeah. benefits that we spoke of. I love it, I love it. So, um, love it. so maybe, in, uh, maybe this is a good point to wrap up and uh, we apologize. There were a lot of great questions coming in, and obviously we didn't get to cover everything. Um, but very much appreciate your tuning in and sharing this time with the congressman. And we wish you all yeah, the best. Yeah, appreciate it. They can go to timryanforamerica.com, and uh, you'll see videos. And I'm out out in the farms, and at every stop I make along the way, uh, I'm trying to hit a regenerative uh, farm uh, to help highlight many instances the media is following me and and really try to breathe life into this and really because we don't have time i mean that's mm -hmm. that's the thing um and and so uh if you you know tim ryan for america.com go you'll see more about the policy initiatives and uh, i think we're gonna we're gonna try to do something with gabe and alan too um you know in the next few weeks and really try to promote this and maybe a town hall style where we kind of do what we're doing here we're really getting the questions and letting people know this is real. There is a real candidate talking about this mm -hmm. all the time. And uh, just real quick, I, I was in New Hampshire last night and uh, just a, you know, average political picnic with, you know, 75, 100 people in a backyard on a farm that's growing foods uh, and had solar panels, it was really cool. But anyway, I, I give my pitch, right? And I talk about regenerative agriculture and I talk about food as medicine. And, you know, I had a you know, handful of people come up to me after I want to volunteer on the campaign. I'd be, I mean, because it spoke to their interest. So I'm just sharing that to say to people watching this mm -hmm. that there are people all over the country that want to drive this issue like you are here because they see the real benefits of it. So I appreciate everything that everyone's doing and uh, glad I'm on the team now and uh, carrying the flag. We're very grateful. Uh, to you for bringing this issue to the national stage, uh, literally and figuratively. Uh, there are different video clips of Tim Ryan, uh, public statements that he's made in support of regenerative agriculture at the Soil for Climate Facebook group. Uh, if you're not yet a member of the group, we encourage you to join. We have over 12,000 members from more than 100 countries around the world. So this is not just a national topic, but truly a growing worldwide uh, issue of, of interest for, for people everywhere. 
So um, uh, last uh, shout out, uh, this is to Stonyfield Organics. That's yes. hosting a presidential forum coming up uh, this Thursday in Londonderry, New Hampshire. There will be three presidential candidates, uh, including Tim Ryan. So uh, if you'd like to see him in person and hear him speak, uh, there's an opportunity for anyone who's in the New England area. So. I'll be there. New and better, not left or right. New and better. Sounds great. All right, thank you very Good. much. Thanks. Just, man. Hey, we're gonna do this? Thank you. you want to put the hat, here we go. <laughs> yeah, uh -huh. the official, uh, the, the hat ceremony. You got, you got to put it, I'll put it on. There you go, put now it's real. That's it. Now it's real. <laughs> thank Thanks. Thanks for having me. Okay. So long, everyone. Thanks for joining us.